0: The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, September 18th, 2023.
1: The woman in your life who will do what she must do To comfort you and calm you down And let you rest now The woman in your life She can rest so easily She knows everything you do
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. With me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Elaine. Boy, we're coming across the fall equinox soon, and it's just the weather is just amazing here in Sonoma County. Well, I'm really excited about today's show. Joining me on the phone today will be Mary Ann Williamson, a political activist. author, a non-denominational spiritual lecture, and New York Times bestseller. You know, I, I just, for over four decades, Marianne Williamson has been a leader in spiritual and religious progressive circles. She is the author of 15 books, four of which have been on the number one New York bestsellers list. A quote from the mega bestseller, A Return to Love. I love this. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. And this is considered to be an anthem for contemporary generational seekers. You know, I I really believe that. It's just an amazing, you know, the idea, our deepest fears that we are powerful beyond measure. I mean, just look at the protesting that's going on with the climate and all the people that are gathering. So I'm really, really excited about having Mary Ann Williamson on. And also, she's also for the second time a candidate for president in the 2024 election. And she is putting that in the ring again for a second time. You know, and her message is really, really important. And I know when once we get into it, folks will be able to understand it and see how valuable it truly is. Well, I have some announcements to make tonight, which is this evening, uh, September 18th, the Sonoma County Chapter of the National Organization for Women will be having their regular meeting from 7 to 8.30. Uh, With all that's happening, it's important that all women support women's organizations and one way in the Bay Area as you can do that is become a member of the Sonoma County Chapter of the National Organization for Women. I believe that we are the only chapter in this northern uh, section. All the information can be found on uh, www.sonomacounty.org and, of course, on www.womenspaces.com. This is a very important organization, ladies, and we all have to support it. Well, I have another announcement. You know, I belong to the Unity Church of Santa Rosa, and I oftentimes don't bring bring much of that information out, but we are doing somewhat of a spiritual program this, uh, this morning and this afternoon. And I want to make a special announcement. The Unity Church of Santa Rosa is having its annual rummage sale and that's going to be on uh, Saturday, September 30th from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. The address is 4857 Old Redwood Highway in Santa Rosa and it's right across the street from Mulberry Market here in Santa Rosa. And it's very important that we support these uh, organizations and I was watching them, I'll tell you, putting the stuff together and they've got some amazing, amazing things. So that's going to be at the unity church uh this saturday september 30th and of course it will be announced on the women's Spaces uh website www.women's w- do- bases party pardon. pardon
0: not this saturday
2: no on the 30th yeah. the 30th excuse me it's next saturday forgive me thank you so much for letting me know ken i'll tell you i get so excited with the program sometimes i just jump ahead of myself well I have a very, very, very special announcement to make. I'm so excited to announce it. My beautiful granddaughter, uh, Caitlin Beverly, she has my middle name, Jensen, and Trevor Elliott will be tying the knot. They're getting married on October 5th, 2024, next year. Amazing. Uh, Congratulations to both of them. I feel so blessed. You know, life is such a gift. Even with all the trials and tribulations, uh, we, we, we must kiss joy whenever we can. And it's such a joy to know this. My beautiful granddaughter is getting married. I mean, I'm really excited. It's going to be happening in San Diego. So Ken and I and the family are going to be doing a lot of traveling next year. And I am very, very excited. You know, I really am. Well, you know, like I do every Monday morning, which is very important. We do the program on our History is Our Strength Well, we got a lot of history going on this month, you know, and September 18th, that's today. I, I couldn't believe it. Of all people, Greta Garbo, the actress, she got her start in advertising, I didn't know that, in 1922, and she moved from ho- to Hollywood in 1925, and she had her greatest performance in Camille in 1936, and she actually retired in 1942 and led a life of a lot of charitable charitable work. You know, what? what's so interesting about Greta Garbo, she was one of these really independent women. I think she was one of the first women in our circle that... That actually wore pants, and it was it was just a, such a big deal, you know. Now we wear pants all the time, but uh, Ken and I were watching a. Um a program on one of the uh, spiritual groups here in the United States. And it's so interesting that they're insisting that women wear dresses and skirts. And I remember when I was going to high school, it was so interesting. I actually got suspended because I showed up at school wearing pedal pushers, black, a black turtleneck, sleeveless. Oh, my goodness, no sleeves. You know, my hair up in a bob with gold earrings and red lipstick. And when I arrived at school, man, the vice principal came right out to the class suspended me for a week. And my mother, it was so funny, my mother calls the school and says, you did my daughter a favor. She doesn't mind at all being out of school. Well, it's, it's so interesting because... Every month, every month we have so many different uh, birthdays and one of the birthdays that's happening on September 22nd, she was born in 1899 and she made her transition in 1990, was Elsie Allen. You know, she she preserved and revitalized the culture of the Northern California promo Indians who made exquisite baskets from native plants. Let me tell you a little bit about Elsie Island. We have a school here in Sonoma County, Elsie Island High School, which was founded in 1994. And the first graduating class of this school was in 1997, and it was named after promo basket weaver and educated Elsie Allen. The university center at Elsie Island High School is the of the prestigious 2010 California Boards Association Golden Bell Award. Which is really, really interesting. All the different awards and, and all this, many of the young people that go through that school and go through this center are able to go on to higher education. And uh, the University Center at Elsie Island High School is a specialized program uh, designed to provide intensive preparation and college courses to motivated high school students. They offer rigorous and innovative, innovative curriculum. Uh, on an accelerated schedule students enroll in the university courses there while they're still in high school if you can imagine that while they're still in high school that they're able to uh they're able to apply and go to college courses, and really is a, a big incentive. So, congratulations, wonderful, wonderful school, and happy birthday, Elsie Al- Island. Excuse Alan for all that you did for your people around bringing the the information and all the wonderful things that that happen uh, around the Native Americans and some of their basket weaving. Well, we have another special birthday on September twenty third. She was born in eighteen thirty eight. Wow, eighteen thirty eight. Can you imagine that? And she made her transition in 1927. Her name was Gloria Woodall. She was a feminist and she was the first, I I didn't realize this, she was the first woman candidate for U.S. president in 1872. It was part of the Equal Rights Party and we've mentioned many times the Equal Rights Party and she was the first woman with her sister Tennessee to become members of the New York Stock Exchange in 1870. Now at In the 1800s, I mean, women were considered property. I mean, it was amazing that this woman was able to step forward and was able to accomplish some of the things that she accomplished in running for president. Can you imagine that in 1872? I mean, I can just imagine the hysteria of men around, you know, when all of a sudden she's (laughs) trying to make a speech or trying to do something like that. It's kind of interesting, you know, when you start thinking about it. Well, you know there's a lot of things that go on in this world, you know, and that it and it it, it and lately it just feels like I don't know there's just so much there's so much chaos and so much anger and so much false information getting around and when you when you think about some of the accomplishments that these women have made and how they stood up it, it's it's an amazing feat it really is and these are the shoulders that we are all standing on and these are the shoulders that we need to be uh, we need to be proud of ourselves we've come a long way baby but we have to really really be careful. Well, there's another birthday that I think is very important, and that was this woman was born on September 23rd, 1863, and made her transition in 1954. And that was Mary Church Terrell. She's an outstanding speaker. She was the first president of the National Association of Colored Women in 1896. And she picketed in Washington, D.C., for women's suffrage and uh, degeneration. And you know, when it came to women of color during the suffrage movement, you know they were they were kind of put to the back at the back of the line, you know, because the, it was more it seemed more important to make sure that the black males got the vote and also that the Caucasian women got the vote. but the African American women were kind of put to the back of the bus, so to speak, to the back of the line. I remember when I was watching uh, my first recollection of it and I started doing my first research was when I watched the movie Iron Jawed Angels. And I saw Ida B. Wells and all of a sudden coming up and talking to Alice Paul, who is one of the leaders, and Alice Paul telling her she's got to go to the back of the line in this parade. And and Ida B. Wells says, no way you're putting me on the back of the line. And when the parade happened, she got right to the front. And it was a real powerful statement. But that was Ida B. Wells. She was just an amazing woman. And I know that she was very, very close with Mary Church Terrell, that they did some work together. So it's very important. Important, and then when you look at the National Association for Colored Women, I'm gonna I'm gonna read this. Uh, the uh, women, the National uh, Association of Colored Women's Clubs, was established in Washington, D.C. on July 21st, 1896. That's almost a half a century before that we even got the vote. Uh, the, this first of what would become uh, a bicentennial convention meetings uh, of the association was held on the 19 in the 19th Street Baptist Church. The federation of afro-american women the women's era Club of Boston and the National League of Colored women of Washington DC the women's loyal Union as well as smaller organizations that had risen from the african-american uh, women's club movement and you know when you start reading history and you start realizing you don't realize how active women and color of color were you know and they that they had to they had to stand very strong and had to be really in strong in individuals, you know, and the, uh, The uh, Women's Era Club of Boston, the National League of Colored Women of Washington, D.C., and then there was the Women's uh, Loyal Union, as well as smaller organizations that had risen from the african uh, Americans' women's club movement. These organizations and later others across the country merged to form the National Association of Colored Women. The organization helped all African-Americans through its work on issues of civil rights and justice, such as women's suffrage. Uh, lynching and Jim Crow laws so there's, there's a lot to learn about history you know history oftentimes history gets hidden from us you know we don't we don't have an opportunity to really see some of the the amazing the amazing progress that that women have made and you know when you're looking at at uh, for example you're looking at women like uh, Marianne Williamson she was really important in bringing forward a a, a, a a study called the uh, teachings of the Course in Miracles, which kinda gave us more of a, a broader perspective of what God was, what the universe was and, and how how we are are placed in it. And I love, you know, I love when when we when we look at that one quote, you know, that the, the fear that we have it's it's not that we're inadequate, but that we're more adequate than we give ourselves credit for. And I think that that is really really important uh, to recognize, particularly particularly in today's world with women when they're we're, when we're losing, when we're losing so so much ground. You know, and and it's really when i was listening to, i was listening to the i was listening to the um, uh amy goodman with the the climate report you know and and i thought you know before we go into uh the interview with Marianne Williamson, and I, and I bring her onto the uh, onto the air. I wanted. There's a, a little poem that I found, and it's called "Call Call to Action Spell." I really like that. It's kind of a a way to help us all gather and and come together. And here here's here's what it, here's what it says: A call to action spell. Humbly, I call to thee, great cosmic energy. Come to my side and be my guide. With all the richness you will provide, I will keep my head up and my heart open. I will keep my head up and my heart open as I have pride as I open my heart. I open my feelings to the great universe, to the great love of it all. I will keep my head up and my heart open as my desires to you are spoken. I call to thee. Profound energy, fill me with motivation and winning strategy. Come to my side and be my guide. I call to the cosmic energy. What a powerful, powerful saying. And when you think about it, you know, it's kind of like a prayer you know it's like a prayer it reminds me of it reminds me of uh, neil uh, neil young song uh, light a candle when he says light a candle in the darkness so others can can might see ahead light a candle in the darkness when you go in other words bring some light into the world bring some some love into the world bring some compassion into the world it really it really makes a big big difference well we're going to take a musical break right now and what I thought I would do is, I don't know, it just feels like, you know, it, it feels like we have to ask for help from the cosmos. You know, there's, <clears throat> excuse me, we have religion, and it looks like on so many levels it's failing us, you know, we need more of a, of a spiritual, <clears throat> a spiritual acknowledgement, of a spiritual awareness. <clears throat> and so what I picked for my opening song for this morning was the prayer of St. Francis. And the reason I I picked that song, the reason I picked that song is is because it is a prayer. You know, it's asking, you know, giving, you know, guide me. You know, bring me bring me to some sort of way that I can I can have peace in my own heart, I can have peace in my own mind and maybe have peace on earth. So we're going to play the uh, prayer of Saint Francis. It's sung by Illyria Hari. And when we return, joining me on the phone will be Marianne Williamson, political activist, author, non-denominational spiritual lecturer, and New York Times best-selling author. She is also at this time. She was a, president for, a candidate for president in 2020, and now she's going to be. Uh, uh, candidate again in 2024, and and you know her message is is very very important. It really is. It's 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 a deeper message than just the political message. It's more of a political and a spiritual uh, message. And and when I look when I look at history. And I look at religion and I look at Christ and I look at all the different things that went on. I mean, there was nobody more political as far as I'm concerned than Christ, especially when he went into the temples and turned over the money changers and said, no, this is the house of God, not for money. You know, and it seems like even in today's world, there's kind of a confusion. You know, who, what is more important, money or life? I mean, when you start thinking about it, you know, you know, they, they have signs like profits, you know, people over profits when it's really prophets over profits. Over people. You know, right now with the climate change and all the activism that's going on and all the all the protesting, it's just amazing. So we're coming to a place, I think, where we're starting to stand up and we're starting to say enough is enough, but we need that inner strength, you know, that inner feeling. I mean, that's why we do the Women's Spaces Pledge once a month, you know, where we, our self-esteem doesn't depend on anything outside of us. It depends on our relationship with ourselves and our higher power. So it gives us that that uh, that energy to speak out it gives me the energy to be on the radio to talk to to express my feelings to to express my thoughts to bring these wonderful people on and interview them all that with that 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 kind of that prayer you know like give me that energy give me that give me that sensitivity give me that feeling so let's go ahead Ken we're going to go ahead and we're going to play a uh, uh, prayer of St. Francis by uh, Elliot Pari and Then when we return, we will have Marianne Williamson on. And I know that they're listening, they're streaming, and they're gonna be calling us at the station, and I'm looking forward to it. So let's go ahead, Ken. I just love that song. Well we're trying to get Mary Ann Williamson on the telephone right now and Keller fingers crossed. I mean they're listening to streaming if you can please give us a call. Anyway, for you just joining, I want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, its board of directors, its members, and women's spaces. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host Elaine B. Holtz, and we're trying to get uh, Marianne Williamson on the telephone right now. And here we go. You know, and I hopefully that she's listening. She's supposed she has the studio and to call in. Ken's trying to call her right now. Anyway, before we do it, what I'm going to do is I think while we're waiting to get her on the phone, I think I'll I'll, I'll read a little bit of a saying that I think is really really interesting. You know, it's called the Mother's Day uh, from Code Pink, you know, the Mother's Day Proclamation. And I just thought, you know, this is a perfect way to uh, to kind of read it, you know, because what's happening instead of flowers, you know, give us peace instead of brunch. Give us no more wars. Uh, Let me uh, let let more mothers rise for their children not to kill other mothers, children. Give us instead the uh, abolition of war, the promotion of peace and the care of people on the planet. To commemorate Mother's Day without demanding these changes rings flat. For mother, mother appreciating the beauty of the spring, there is another mother screaming under the terror of bombs and bullets. For every mother savoring breakfast in bed, there is another mother hungry and unhoused, childless, stateless, and fleeing from war. We mothers and the children of mothers stand united against war and united for the well-being of people and the planet. Just amazing, just amazing that, you know, something like that, when you start thinking about it and you start thinking about what it is to be a mother, to bring a child into the world. You know, there was a t a, 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 a shirt that I wore. Uh, hold on, I'm going to get a report from Ken. What's the report, Ken? Uh,
0: we're trying to reach her.
2: We're still trying to reach her, and it looks like, so let's let's go ahead and let's play another song, Ken. Let's get another song on here. Uh, I have another song that I think is really, really a very, very powerful song that I would like to play that I think, you know, I don't play it that often. But I think it's really it's it's an important it's an important thing. It's called "Let There Be Peace" and it's sung by Lizzie, which is really amazing. And it's a, it's a whole different reminiscence of "Let There Be Peace on Earth" and let it begin with me. So it's let's go peace ahead. Peace on Earth. Let's go play "Peace on Earth," Ken. Let
0: there be peace on Earth. And let it begin with me Let there be peace on earth The peace that was meant to be The earth as our mother Children all are we Walk my sisters and brothers In perfect harmony Let this be the moment now With every step I take May this be my side.
2: We did it. We got Marianne Williamson on the on the phone. Hello, Marianne. Welcome to Women's Spaces. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I, I just think it's
3: wonderful. But I understand that
2: you had a little bit of a ballad, a little bit of illness here. I hope you're feeling better. Yeah, I had COVID, but I'm I'm fine now. Thank you so much. Well, let me let me tell our folks just a little bit about you, if that's okay, Marianne Deborah. I love your middle name, Deborah Williamson. She was born July eighth, nineteen fifty two. She's an American author, speaker, humanitarian, and presidential candidate. For 2020 and now 2024, she began her professional career as a spirit, spiritual leader of the Church of Today, a Unity Church in Warren, Michigan. Williamson has written self-help books, including *Return to Love: Reflections on the Principles of a Course of Miracles* in 1992, which became a best-selling author. And that's when I first heard about you, Marianne, when when you first came out with your interpretation and teachings of uh, of uh, of the Course of Miracles. And she launched, she was launched into prominence by Oprah Winfrey, and she's been actively involved with charity work, founding uh, organizations such as the Center for Living in 1997, Project Angel Food in 1989, and Peace Alliance in 1998. She sits on the board for Results, a nonprofit group which is dedicated to finding long-term solutions to poverty. Is there anything else you'd like to add, my love?
3: No, I think you've pretty much covered my life. Obviously, I've published a few books. I don't know if you mentioned that. Um, but uh, I've been around a while,
2: and I've done a few things. Fifteen! Fifteen yeah. books! Oh, my God, <laughs> yeah. oh, my God yeah. that's amazing. And also, your book started way before computers, so it must have been very no, interesting. wait a minute.
3: Wait, wait. No, 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 no. no that, I don't think that's true. I wrote Return to Love. I didn't write it on a long yellow illegal pad or anything. No, <laughs> You know, I'm not that old. I mean, there were typewriters
2: and things. No, I think we had computers when I was writing. Was a yeah. oh, that's well, that's good. Well, talk, <laughs> about, talk about your early work. What was the inspiration for The Course in Miracles? And, and what were some of your challenges bringing this work forward to the public? I mean, it was such an inspiration when it came forward.
3: Well, when I first saw A Course in Miracles, I was in my mid-20s. And so I wasn't thinking at that time. Certainly, I wasn't thinking of any kind of professional activity. I was thinking in terms of my own life, of course. When I first started, when I, when I went over to the apartment on Central Park West in New York City, where I had been told that the book was published, I met very quickly Judy Scotch, who was getting into an elevator, and her husband told me that she was on her way to Houston To talk to a group about A Course in Miracles. Well, first of all, I come from Houston, which was interesting to me. But more than that, I remember having the thought, oh my God, can you imagine what an amazing life that would be to just get a go, to go around talking to people about A Course in Miracles. And I was there that day to volunteer to work in their office. Um, After that, I studied the course. Then when I moved a few years later to California, I was working in a metaphysical publishing house, and they were looking for someone to talk about the Course in Miracles in their lecture series. Well, by that time, I'd been studying the course for five years, or more than five years, actually, when I think about it. Hold on, just a minute, because I have to sneeze. (laughs) Excuse me. And And that's how things started. Now, at that time, there was no career niche like there is today. Um, So there was nothing to be ambitious for. The fact that I could speak about The Course in Miracles at this publishing house for no money was, to me, the height of success. It wasn't anything you looked at in terms of, like I said, it wasn't a career niche because that career niche did not exist. Then later, when I started speaking elsewhere, I remember it was a suggested donation of $3.00. So it still wasn't anything I thought of as a career. I was working as a temporary secretary in L.A. at that time. And, um, and, and then I, I remember when, you know, it became something that I could do full time. But I think that my innocence around it, my lack of ambition around it, is what gave it a kind of power. And then not long after that, the AIDS crisis burst onto the scene, at which point everything got very serious, um, and then my career went on from there. It became uh, something on a whole different level from a commercial perspective when I wrote my book that was based on my lectures that then came out in 1992 and Oprah Winfrey read it, and Oprah Winfrey enthused about it, and then it was a whole different a whole different ball game <clears throat> because she gave me my national and international exposure.
2: Well, it sounds like you. Were, it was just meant for you to do. I mean, the, the way everything seemed to open up in such, like you said, in a natural, soft way. So it, it didn't even feel commercial. It was like just coming from your heart. So it sounded exactly. It sounded like it had a huge impact on you, as far as changing. Like all of a sudden, the, the image you had of yourself, all of a sudden, fell into a whole different category.
3: Well, I think in looking back, things moved so quickly. And there are different aspects of the experience that I don't think I integrated very well. Spiritually, I think I did fine. Uh, I I know I did, and I know that I do, because I know that I'm I'm a serious student of the Course. But on a material plane, I look back and realize that things happened for me so quickly that I did not. Um, mature along with the situation, as, as as I now wish that I had.
2: Well, you know, we all every time we all look on the back, you know, yeah, <laughs> we, exactly. look we look we looked in the back, you know. But the thing exactly. is, that's that's the path, you know, the fact that yeah, we can't, exactly. Well, you know, it's, what's so interesting to me, you know, I. Followed you for years and years. I mean, the course really had an impact on me. You know, the the different interpretations, the different of ways of, of looking at spirituality, you know, and also the the whole idea of that statement that you made, you know, about we we're, we're, we're not really inadequate. The thing is, we're we're more adequate than we realize, you know, and that is so important that we recognize. But also, you said something also very interesting in your writings. I I read one of your interviews. You mentioned that to teach is to demonstrate. Demonstrate is to demonstrate, you know. And so it sounds like by you coming out and teaching The Course of Miracles, you were demonstrating something. What what do you feel? What is the answer to that? You mentioned it's to, to <coughs> teach us to demonstrate. What do you mean by that?
3: Well, first of all, that's not my line. That's a direct quote from A Course in Miracles. It says to teach us to demonstrate. So in other words, from A Course in Miracles perspective, what makes me what The Course of Miracles would call a teacher of God? Has nothing to do with the fact that I've written books or I've given lectures to teach in the courses to demonstrate a God of love. So the Course in Miracles says, anytime we demonstrate love, we are teaching. You were teach, the Course in Miracles says, no matter how you're coming across in any situation, you are teaching, you are demonstrating, you are letting the world know who you think you are, who you think other people are you are in every moment either teaching love or teaching fear because the Course in Miracles says that love is to fear as light is to darkness. So when you are extending light, there cannot be darkness. If I walk into a situation and I say my to myself, <clears throat> and my only purpose here is to extend love. The energy that will go into that can then not be used for neurotic purposes. So I can't, go into a situation intending only to be a vessel of love and be neurotically caught up in worries they won't like me um, and all the other sort of associated dysfunctional thought forms that might otherwise plague me. You fill your house with light, there cannot be darkness. And that's why the Course in Miracles says you achieve so little because you have an undisciplined mind. And we we need to replace ambition with inspiration now when you were talking about the early days in my career my first book was number 1 on the new york times list for 35 weeks it was the fifth largest selling book in america that year i had never had an ambitious thought about it oh my goodness because i was i was like a, an idiot savant the word bestseller wasn't even in my consciousness i have never made as much money as I have in situations where
2: money was not my goal. I don't mean to—I don't mean to chuckle, but it just shows that the spirit was just so alive in this whole experience that you're having. I mean, from Oprah <coughs> Winfrey grabbing onto it to all of a sudden you—you you becoming, you know, a name on the stage and being able to express this—it just feels like there was a, a force behind you that was not going to stop.
3: Well, I think also when I look back at that time. I worked tirelessly within the AIDS community. And the last thing that you got from that or ever even thought about that was some kind of financial remuneration. So I always felt later when the book was so successful, that it was almost like the universe returning energy that I had put out with no thought of self. I think that we vastly underestimate how abundantly we are rewarded in this life for selflessness. And I've seen it, and I've seen it in my life, and I think we all do when I'm thinking of myself, trying to get something for myself, putting myself out there, all that stuff. That's a low-level energy. It doesn't invite a lot of, um, doesn't invite abundance. It doesn't attract um, success. But when you we do anything from a place of "I'm just here to give love," amazing things do happen, and right. that's as true of a political campaign as anything else. By the way,
2: I know I agree.
3: Involved in that—that—that that, uh, that was interesting for me to hear myself say that because it's also true in politics, it's true in anything. It's just a life principle. It's true in an intimate relationship. It's true in a professional situation, political situation, and anything. Um, the removal of self. You know, the Course in Miracles talks about self with a capital S and self with a little S, and when you are approaching any situation from the big S, that means your spiritual essence. Um, it's a very abundant vortex, but when it's all about me, and that's really the malignancy of human consciousness that plagues the planet at this time. Um, it's all about me, and, I, and I've and i learned in my life, uh, and I've learned it through difficulty, that the biggest, best advice I can ever give myself, and then 90% of the time, it, it applies. And that's to say to myself, Marianne, get over yourself. This is not about you.
2: Well, it's, it's interesting because as you're talking, I'm thinking about one of the things that I do on Women's Spaces. I don't know if you saw this on the website, but I have what is known as the Women's Spaces Pledge, where it's my self-esteem does not depend on anything outside of me. It depends on my relationship exactly. with myself and my higher power, God, Jesus, however you want to see that. And But you know what was so amazing to you? I have to just tell you a quick story. I was at a, I was at a free bookstore. They were giving out free books, okay? And all of a sudden, I come across this book called Imagine what what America could be in the 21st century, and there was your name on it. And I thought, wait a minute. This is a political book. Marianne Williams is writing a political book, and then I'm looking at all these authors that that joined you. I mean, Deepak Chopra, uh, James Redfield, you know, uh, you know, all these different. You know, even uh, Tom Hartman is one of your advisors and one of the people that is written on the book. So, talk a little bit about what, how did this happen? Where all of a sudden, here you are on this spiritual path. You're getting all these acclamations and, and recognition for it, and people are following on the course. I mean. Many of us, I mean, we were having meetings and all kinds of things going on around uh, what you were writing and what you were saying. And then all of a sudden, here comes this book in 2000. Talk a little bit about that. How did, how did this happen? And, and what, was, what was the motivation here? And what was the idea that you had in mind when you sat down and put this together?
3: Well, nothing was sudden at all, actually. I'd written a book called Healing the Soul of America that came out in 1998. Um, The same principles that apply to one life apply to a group of lives. You know, principles are principles. Um, All that a nation is is a group of individuals. So I had always had interest in the larger collective issues, but I felt that my skill, my own personal contribution was greatest in the area of uh, personal transformation. Some people obviously still do believe that. But I have always believed that there's a big both and there. You can't only address societal, political issues. You also have to address personal issues. You also can't just address personal issues. You have to address collective and societal issues. So my interest in in the development of a nation, the development of a civilization, has always been of great interest to me. Um, And I felt in those years that it was enough for me to address the larger collective issues in on the level of writing. And it was only later in, in the 21st century that I began to believe that what is happening on the collective level is so dire that it cannot be ignored. I think that a lot of people in the higher consciousness community have looked at modern American politics, and rightfully so, as a toxic cesspool. And I can tell you, I can tell you from two experiences now in the belly of the beef, they're not incorrect about that. At the same time, if you say that anyone with a higher sort of more philosophical, and spiritual vision is going to ignore politics because politics is so toxic, then what's going to happen within the field of politics? It will only get more toxic. And I've been saying for decades within that community of spirituality that those of us who have a clue as to what it would take to transform one life are the last people who should be sending out the great issues of economics and politics and society because if you have a clue what would change one life You're the one who has a clue what would change the world.
2: You know, that's interest. uh, it's interesting you say that because people will ask me about, you know, audiences and I say, you know, if there's one person out there, if we can change their heart, we've done a good job, you know, and it, and it, and also with uh, on the idea of politics, you know, I remember growing up, we don't talk politics, you know, we don't talk religion. I mean, two of the most major factors that are, that are really impacting our lives and they're telling us that we can't talk about it. And I, I agree with you that you're saying that we have to bring it to the forefront because because if we're silent, you know, there's a song that was written by uh, Ellen Booksdale. It's called By My Silence, I Give My Consent. So when you, you do nothing, you're saying it's okay. Well,
3: you know, I remember that line, we don't talk religion or politics. I've always thought, well, that leaves me out at dinner. <laughs> but but notice what's being said there. If we don't talk about religion or politics, we're, we're acquiescing to what has occurred in our society, which is this almost obsession with ultimately meaningless things. You can say politics doesn't matter. If you say politics doesn't matter, that's like saying the fact that 68,000 Americans dying every year from lack of healthcare doesn't matter. One in four Americans living with medical debt doesn't matter. The majority of Americans living paycheck to paycheck doesn't matter. People unable, millions, the majority of Americans are unable to afford a $400 unexpected expenditure doesn't matter people being way down in their 20s with tens of thousands of dollars of college loan debt doesn't matter half of our uh, the, the condition of the planet the climate catastrophe that lay before us doesn't matter wars that were fought for no other reason than to feed the coppers of the military industrial complex doesn't matter i think that that's what that's the zeitgeist of this moment is people awakening from a self-induced stupor a stupor that was created and to which we all succumbed of so much stimulus that is ultimately nothing but meaningless distraction. And uh, I think, you know, people have asked me, what is the difference between your campaign in 2020 and your campaign in 2024? And the difference is not so much in me. The difference is in the American people alliance. There's, um, There's a maturity settling in to the American mind now, because people are like, wait a minute, something has gone too far. And I have seen in my career, I have seen the most silly people, people who were living their lives on the most shallow levels, concerning themselves only with material issues, no depth whatsoever in how they live their lives. And then something happens. They're told the test results came back and it's cancer. They were told their child is a heroin addict. They were told the only choice is bankruptcy. They were told whatever they were told, that shocks them on such a level that in the first five minutes, ultimately meaningless layers of of thought and feeling just fall away. And I've watched that person become
2: in a minute, a serious adult. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I, I, on a personal level, I had a, a little breakout, a reaction to a, a medication on my skin, and I'll tell you, it just woke me up to more things that's than you right. can imagine. It's
3: all of a exactly. sudden, you know, you know, whoa. But All you know, of a sudden, life's serious, and that's where I believe we are as a nation. Well, A lot of people who are all of a sudden becoming mature thinkers, and the fact is there are things happening in this country that should never have gotten this far. And all of us, I think, need to take personal responsibility for what that what that means about us, that we ever let it get this bad, that we ever let it get to the point where the fascists are this close to the door. And it's because so many of us were we had our eyes off the ball. And I think that that's what we're learning about a democracy. You, you can't you can't in a free society, affirm your thinking out to any institution or one group of people. The power has to be in our own hands. That's fine, we, you know, we'll, we'll atone, start now. And I think, I know for myself and my campaign, I think of my campaign as kind of a campaign for thinking people. Which is why, by the way, they project onto me that I'm, I'm serious, because what they know is how deeply serious this campaign is.
2: Well, that's what let's let's talk a little bit about that because I, I look at you and I think okay number one you're a woman number two you're talking spirituality and number three you're into you're talking politics how how do you balance that and what are some of the challenges you're having you know being in the position because I've watched some of the interviews and to be honest with you sometimes I get so mad at some of these interviews they really they're not really grasping exactly what you're saying and it, it 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 bothers me a little bit that's why I'm so happy that we're doing this interview because it's just it just gives me even a clearer picture. So so what what is it? What are some of your challenges, and how are you meeting them? How do you use the course, for example, to get you through those struggles?
3: Within the field of spirituality and book publishing, I never had these kinds of problems. I always had cheap media hits um, from people who had no clue what was going on here. Um, that has played me from the beginning. But in terms of the career itself... Um, the field of higher consciousness is more than comfortable with women. And the fact that I was talking about spirituality, that was the field. So it was only people who cared about spirituality. And if they didn't, weren't interested in it, they weren't there. They weren't in the audience. They weren't buying the books. There was no problem. Politics is a whole different thing. Oh, I bet. It is more corrupt than the average American has any idea. It is darker than the average American has any idea? It is a racket. It is a multi-billion dollar uh, corporate enterprise. And that system has no um, listening whatsoever and no patience whatsoever with anyone that challenges the core pillars of its belief system and their main uh, weapon is character assassination. Now, when I ran before, they were satisfied to simply mock me, make fun of me, and lie about me. This time, it's full frontal attack. How do you handle it? Well, I have to say, it's quite the experience to wake up every morning, to insult, lie, and smear. And it does feel like online bullying, which basically it is. Is it traumatizing? Yeah, it actually is. However, there's no way to challenge that system without challenging it. And given the chance that I could become president of the United States as a result of all this, this is quite an education and the character necessary to be able to handle that job. Because if I think they're coming after me now, imagine how they'll be coming after me if I'm president of the United States.
2: Well, I want to say something on the air after listening to this, that I just love you and support you, and I just admire your courage and your confidence and that you're willing to stand up for such such beautiful principles and such such high ideals I mean it, 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 it's it's like a breath of fresh air to be honest with you and we're coming to the very much at the end of our segment so I want to leave you some time for last words to anything that you'd like to share with our listeners, give us your website any, any message that you feel is important that you want to say just be my guest please
3: I I think that We are on a very dangerous trajectory, and we have to turn around. There is too much human despair. It's unsustainable. For 20% of Americans, the economy is working well, and this 20% of us are living on an island that is surrounded by a vast sea of economic despair, and that creates a petri dish out of which all manner of societal and personal dysfunction are almost inevitable. For those of us who do not wish to see Donald Trump be president in 2024, I think we need to stop obsessing about Donald Trump, because Donald Trump, the people who support Donald Trump have the right, they're going to support Donald Trump, and some of them are going to support him even if he were in prison. What we who do not wish to see him become president again need to do is to offer the American people a far more compelling alternative. Franklin Roosevelt said we would not have to worry about fascist takeover as long as democracy delivered on its promises. And it is not now. And for democracy to deliver on its promises in the United States would mean that the American citizen would have granted to us what they have in every other advanced democracy, universal health care, tuition-free college and and, and uh, tech school, child care, paid family leave, and a guaranteed living wage. And I think we need a Department of Peace. I think we need a Department of Children and Youth. And I think we need to end the war on drugs, which is doing more to exacerbate the problem than to heal it. I think it's time to end an entire aberrational chapter in the United States that's gone on for 50 years by which short-term profit maximization for huge corporate entities has been placed before the safety and health and well-being of the American people. And if people believe those things, as I do, I hope they will go to my website at Marianne2024.com. I hope people will donate to the campaign. I hope people will volunteer for the campaign. We have a short window, but it's a window of possibility. And we need to claim for ourselves the possibility of a far more beautiful world. We've been taught to limit our political imaginations, and it's time to expand them, to imagine for ourselves the world we want, and to work backwards from there. Well, and appreciate the opportunity to accept this
2: well, I'll tell you, Marianne Williamson, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on Women's Bases and for bringing forward this beautiful, beautiful message. I want to thank you and wish you much, much success in all that you're doing.
3: Oh, thank you. Thank you very, very much. American women can make it happen, and I know you know that. And uh, it's, it's time for women.
2: We've been talking about it long enough. It's time for us to do it. Thank you so much. Anyway, Thank you. God bless you, honey. God bless you, too, and and God bless all our listeners, and oh, my goodness, and just a reminder that the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station or the board of directors, its members, or Women's Spaces. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to a special interview by uh, Marianne Williamson, who's a spiritual teacher and who's running for president of the United States in 2024. Uh, I look forward to being being with you the next time, and a reminder, women's Women's Spaces will be on the radio tonight at 11 o'clock. And I really enjoy listening to myself and also remind you that today at uh, 7 o'clock, on, uh, there'll be a Zoom and you go to www.nowsonomacounty.org and we're going to be having the National Organization for Women meeting. This is Elaine B. Holt. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much for listening.
1: are someone to pursue. She's patient and she's waiting and uh, she'll take you home now, the woman in your life, she can
0: previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, September 18th, 2023.